Welcome to the Evolving Accountant Podcast. We all know that some accountants can be boring, but definitely not this one. Why talk trial balances and P&L when we can get ripped jeans into the boardroom and hear business insights from people who have really walked the talk? Get ready. Here comes an all-new episode with your host, Darren Wingfield. Hi there, welcome to another episode of the Evolving Accountant Podcast, powered by Holland's Accountants. Delighted today to be joined by Louise McLean, Director of Signature Pubs and Cold Town Beer. For our listeners out there, Louise, can you kick things off by telling us a little bit about yourself, but more importantly, what your drive is to get out of bed in the morning? I think the hospitality industry is a vocation. I don't necessarily think it's something you can learn. I think it's something that inherently you have in you. I've been in the hospitality industry now since I was basically came out of uni at 24. And now I work for a business called Signature Pubs. We have 20, depends who you speak to, actually. I have 23 brands to market, but we have 21 venues because one of our venues is quite multifaceted and there's quite a lot involved in it. We also have a brewery called Cold Town Beer, which we launched a few years ago now, which is a craft beer. It does a whole spectrum of brews. And yeah, I mean, no two days are ever the same. Literally. I'm just back from Australia. I got, I was away in Australia for 11 days. It just got back on Friday, visited 140 hospitality venues in seven and a half days, which was an absolute eye opener. And then you're straight back into looking at Christmas. And what Christmas is going, to, is going to bring. And then I've got a meeting tomorrow on what January sale offer we're going to do. My driver is that who knows what you're going to be doing any week to the next. It is, we are fast moving consumer goods. And um, if you love the industry and if you love what you do, then getting out of bed's not hard. Fair point. 140 venues in seven days is quite a pub crawl, mind Louise. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely exhausting. It's what we do. Myself and Nick, who own the business, who owns the business, we try and go away twice a year. We try and go away to English-speaking countries because communication is a big part of hospitality. I like to get behind bars where I can. I'm not scared of asking someone how much does this pub take a week. Sometimes they don't really want to answer. But I never ask about profit, right? Profit's personal, but turnover. I think is something we can share. So uh, we have meetings, we speak to other operators, how they're doing things differently, look at some of the tech that other countries are using and investing in and uh, and yeah, get a feel for atmosphere, ambience, welcome, service levels. Um, so yeah, it is, it's 140 pubs. It works out about 20 a day. I'm being an accountant, I'm sure you can do the maths on that. And yeah, and it's hugely rewarding. It is exhausting. You have to have a smile on your face the whole time. And uh, yeah, we take hundreds of pictures and we write extraordinarily detailed notes on every single visit. Cool. Sounds exciting. So can we talk a little bit more about yourself, Louise? What's your career, your journey been like as an individual before working at Signature Pubs in Town? I did just a general sort of business degree at uni and left and um, I got a job in a, a hotel in Perth as a developer, deputy manager. And within three months, they'd said to me, we don't think you're a right fit for a career in hospitality. So I was let go. And um, I was looking for a job and a friend of my dad's owned a nightclub. 
when it was, this was this was before switch. This is before credit cards. This is when we were a cash. This is 95, 96, all about cash. And he said, I need someone I can trust to do the cash. My dad was an accountant and uh, I got a slight leaning towards numbers, literally slight. And so I started off in this nightclub doing all the cash and doing the wages. I loved it. I loved the vibe. I was young. I was like brilliant fun. I was hanging out with my mates and getting paid for it. It was amazing. And then I left there and I joined the Diageo corporate scheme, basically, Diageo graduate scheme, which was training that companies probably can't afford to do now. Residential, down south, literally classroom training on sales and marketing and commerciality and HR. It was a very broad training program. And I was there for three years and I loved it. And then I really enjoyed the commercial side of it. I enjoyed brewery loans, which back in the day, there was a lot of every brewer would give out money and give you golden handcuffs. And so I got into that and I loved that. So I was with various brewers. I did Molson Coors for a few years, but then laterally I was with tenants, which is C&C. So there's Magners, tenants up in Scotland. Then I joined their innovation team to bring new brands to market, which I loved as well. And that was really interesting. So I've been bloody lucky in my whole career. And, and I know you meet your own luck and all that, but I've been very, very fortunate. I've been, I've worked in a male industry um, all my days and uh, I've never found that held me back or anything. I've never had any issues with it. I just plugged away. I was just a grafter. And, uh, and then I joined Signature 10 years ago when we had four pubs and it was just a little part-time job, just 20 hours a week, keep myself out of trouble. Um, maybe pay for a holiday and look where we've ended up. It always starts as just a few hours here, doesn't it? Just a few hours there. I know. It's always the recipe. So obviously we're going to have a lot of conversation this morning about the hospitality sector, what it looks like, where it is as of today. It's moving quite fast. There's some ups and some downs. It's always in the news as well. So let's start with the brand Signature Pubs. Yep. Ultimately, the backbone to the Cold Town range. You've obviously mentioned a number of venues, hundreds of staff, and let's say that it's no secret that the hospitality is taking a bit of a hit at the moment with the rise in supply chain. It's easy to describe yourself as someone being deep in it right now. How does it feel being on the inside and what's happening? Obviously, in the news, they're saying on average now two pubs a day across the UK is closing down. We've got Recently, another brand has what's launched dynamic pricing, where depending on how busy the pub is, we're going to charge you more for your beer. From your point of view, Louise, what? How would you describe it? How do? You, how are you feeling it right now versus ten, fifteen years ago? So it's never been harder to make money in hospitality, and I don't know if those days will ever come back. You know, when I joined this industry, people that worked in here were affluent; they had cash to burn, and those days are not here now. I worry that I'm not seeing the younger entrepreneurs coming through. We're not seeing people taking a risk because the risk is too great. The reward is not there enough. You know, the pubs are okay. Midweek's exhausting. There's just people are staying in midweek. You know, your Hello Fresh boxes, your Gusto boxes. That takes a chunk of people away. They don't want to cook, but don't have the money to go out. You know, you can get a Hello Fresh box for £2 a meal, you know? So that's something that wasn't there 10 years ago and we have to compete with. Midweek is hard. The people are looking for deals. The problem with deals is 
deals don't give us the margin we need to. So really, you're just washing your face. We call it midweek. At the weekends, they are good. That's when literally everyone wants to come out. And what we do is we provide venues that when you're out, you're out, out, right? So you come to Signature, you'll get great service, great food, great drink and a great party. We over-index in our bars. Our bars look great. They smell great. Now, you might joke when I say that, but there's a real link with the senses. So it can't just look good. It has to, it's all encompassing of your senses when you come into one of our venues. We spend a lot of money making sure that everything of those boxes is ticked. But that's not translating through to the bottom line. The top line's there. Top line's absolutely fine. We've got a sales culture. We drive sales. We like to have bookings on the in the books. We like to have private events arranged. That's all good. The sales line's fine. It's the bottom line that is not fine. A lot of that's driven by wage costs, inflationary wage costs, you know, the minimum wage rising and rising. We also have a policy that we pay, you know, the, the, we pay the 23-year-old rate regardless of how old you are. So if you're 18, you'll get 1074, which is the minimum we pay people. And on top of that, we also have a service charge. So everyone can earn a lot more money because every customer is asked to pay a service charge, albeit it's disc- discretionary. But we introduced that A, during COVID because it was 100% service because no one was allowed to stand, but also B, because... There was this conception that hospitality was poorly paid and then everyone stopped doing cash. So we're like, right, how do we how do we balance this? So service charge seemed like a way a way to go. And that's been that's been well received by customers. We don't have any issues with that. I mean, you'll occasionally get someone saying they added it on and the service was rubbish. And it's like, well, we'll take off, we'll refund you. There's it is entirely discretionary. Rates is huge. That's absolutely, you know, when, when you look at the P&L of a month and you see that figure, that's painful. Electricity are in the P&L, we're about 75% more than we budgeted for. Wow. So, yeah, that's painful every month as well. You know, it just flows right through to the bottom, to the bottom line. So it's never been harder to make money in hospitality. That's not going to stop us trying. And we have a we have an expansion program. We want we're about to do a big, big refurb program probably across the business for a couple of million. So we're still investing in our venues. We're and we'd love new sites. Um, so there's still a drive within us, but we need someone to cut us a bit of slack. We need the government to step up. And I mean the Scottish government and the national government as well. You know, I think we're all pushing for a VAT cut for hospitality. And um, we would love to see rate parity with what the Westminster government did for England. We don't have that up here. So yeah, support is would be welcomed and we will continue to bang that drum. I don't want to see closures. You know, I saw Marcus Waring's closed his restaurant. I saw Michelle Rue is closed, is closing the Gav, Gav, Gavroche. I mean, they're big, big names. And they're not giving up because they're bust or anything. They're giving up because they're like, I'm done. Where's the new Michael Rue? Where's the new Marcus Waring? Where are the new guys that we need to electrify the hospitality industry, not just in Scotland, but nationally? I worry that we're not seeing them because it is too expensive to get a foothold. Obviously, there's one element where can more support come to help? And that's probably a short term thing if we talk about the VAT getting cut or getting cut from 20 to 5 is what's been said or even zero rated or whatever is that going to solve the problems in two years three years four years the way the electricity is going we're in the middle of a, the war with russia and ukraine and the uk was surrounded by water but we do, we can't generate power through water we've got a load of wind turbines but our usage is so high 
we're introducing electric cars, but we've not got the infrastructure or the the ability to drive from one end of the country to the other end in an easy manner with being able to do upgrades, uh, do charging, I mean, on the upgrades. There is a lot of requirements, Ira, as the UK, to resolve this out. And the pubs is like, and the hospitality sector is one of them. Is it that the country's broken in your eyes? Because I think we're quite close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, yeah, the external factors are helping absolutely nobody. But, and I wish I could get into, you know, the walls of Whitehall or wherever and say, what is the collateral damage? Because the collateral damage since COVID has felt like it was the hospitality industry in that we have survival instincts and good God, we are nothing if not tenacious. But is there a realism that there will have to be some catastrophes before action is taken. I don't know where the money growing tree is. There isn't one. So it is about what can we do? We cannot pass all these costs onto our customers. Customers have a ceiling with what they're prepared to pay for fish and chips. They have a ceiling with what they would, they're prepared to pay for a pint. That is currency. So we haven't been able to pass all of our costs onto our customers because we wouldn't have any. Yeah. I don't know what the government can do, but even small things, okay? So things like, it's a lovely sunny sunny day here in Edinburgh, doesn't happen often, but all of our tables and chairs are not allowed to be outside on the pavement after the 30th of October. Why? Not allowed. Just clutter. So they've all got to be in. So if we have an Indian summer or a, or a warm autumn, no one can sit outside. You might get a wee strip in front of your venue. But for pavement occupation, which is what a lot of them are, it's not allowed. There's, and there's no flexibility. The Fife Council, Fife's the part of Scotland where it sort of sticks out a bit on the East Coast, where St Andrews is, um, they've just implied a blanket policy that no audible music can be heard in an outside space within a hospitality venue. So you can't have music in a beer garden. More so tough. there's wee things like that if there was give that doesn't cost, the hospitality industry might go, do you know, actually, they do appreciate us. They do kind of get what we're trying to do. But none of us feel like that. We feel like we are the ball that will always be kicked first. Yeah. Targets. I appreciate that. Obviously, we had during COVID, what was it? Eat out to help out. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> and it's like, so there is, there is support there when it matters. But then it was also referenced as eat out to help spread it about. And it didn't. That was what really, really infuriated us in the industry. It didn't. There has never been any evidence to demonstrate that COVID spread in hospitality. It couldn't have done. We were so controlled. We had to do a signature. We did do it by the book. We did go gold standard of COVID implementation. Because of that, we were visited by Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. She came to view what we were doing, which we were very, very proud that she endorsed us. And then we were visited by the now Prince of Wales, the Duke of Cambridge, then came to spend the day with us in one of our venues in Edinburgh as well, in Coaltown House. So we did get recognised for being the gold standard of COVID conscious safety. But that's because I did a survey to our 100,000 customers and 84% of them said, when the pandemic is over or when lockdown is over, 84% of them said the most important thing to them was COVID adherence to the rules. So that was why we went down the gold standard of safety. So Eat Out to Help Out was an absolute gift 
And I will go toe to toe with anyone that said it did anything to spread spread COVID because there's that's just hearsay. Yeah, that's fair point. So let's move on slightly. Why did signature beers start cold, uh, sorry, signature pubs start cold town beer? So we bought up a venue in the grass market. Which the grass market is a historical part of Edinburgh, full of pubs. And um, the it was an area of over-provision. What that means is Edinburgh Council will not provide licenses. So it says that area, that postcode is already over-provided with hospitality licenses. So we're not giving any more. So to do that, we created a point of difference, which was returning brewing to the grass market. Edinburgh's got a long, long tradition with beer and with breweries. And the last uh, brewery had been on Edinburgh's grass market in 1865. So we were able to bring brewing back to the grass market. That allowed us to go, right, we better get a brewery to make sure that when we open the bar, the beer's good. And then in between all that, we realized the beer was very good. And so we put it into all of our venues and Cold Town Beer was born. And now we sell it out with our estate and it's in Asda and it's in Aldi and it's in some really cool off-trade independence. And it's in lots and lots of good hospitality venues around Scotland. Opportunity knocked, we delivered. <laughs> I think it was on one of the websites as well. I can't remember if it was Signatures or Cold Towns, where I picked up that it said, if you don't like it, we won't brew it again. Correct. So that's absolutely spot on. So what we do is we do a test brew in Cold Town House and we put it on tank and the customers like it. Then we'll produce it down in our bigger brewery, produce it in cans. If they don't like it, we never brew it again. Given, given what the people want. It's just tried, it, tried, you know, tried and tested. And what that does is it lets your customers start to have real faith in what you're doing. It's honesty, it's transparency. It's very craft beer behaviours. We don't get it all right all the time. But when we do, we'll do it again. Cool. So can we talk a little about Cold Town Beer? Obviously, you had the venues to, like a brewery, we had the venues in order to be able to sell this. Going to sort of the off-trade element, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and obviously launching new brands and new beers all the time can be exciting. It can also be a challenge and mm-hmm. yeah educational element behind that. How did it go with Cold Town? So Cold Town was quite entertaining. We were 100% on trade until the pandemic hit and there wasn't an on trade to service. And we had ordered a canning line, like the Rolls Royce of canning lines. And we'd ordered it from Italy and the Italian manufacturers were coming over to Scotland, going to spend three weeks with us, installing the canning line, training the staff, getting all working perfectly. It was delivered pandemic, no travel. So we had to install a canning line using Google Translate and FaceTime. Okay. That was not one of its challenges. And then we've got, a, we've got a really, really good sales team and they were out finding the opportunities. And our, our, our beer is gateway craft. So if you like really hoppy, really flavorful, really quite interesting and challenging craft beers, we're probably not for you. But if you like a gentle introduction to craft, well-made, sessionable. That's the biggest thing. It's not just about having one pint. The first pint has to be so bloody good, you want a second. So that's our point of difference. We're away. We've, we've got our graph of where we plot. We are very much contemporary, classic, sessionable. And that pulls us away from some of the more sort of animated brands that are out there that, that, that have got their consumers. There's enough for all of us. It was about finding our lane. We knew our lane and staying in our lane. 
Cool. This could be a bit of a raw subject or a raw question that's coming. The running without the pubs, on-trade versus off-trade. Does brands need on-trade to survive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need the on-trade. You don't, you know, off-trade is not for hospitality or for fast-moving consumer goods, especially alcohol-led ones that I've worked in. You grow your brand in the on-trade and you get your scale in the off. So you need a balance. You need you need both, I think, um, especially to grow. And uh, the off-trade gives you that coverage, that discovery. You've got to work your ass off to make that customer because they look at the range they've got to choose from. So uh, we are uh, 75 on, 25% off. And I like that. I'm happy with that ratio. There's, there's something interesting that you've just said where there's there has never been probably more choice right now than when you go into a supermarket and there's two, three aisles of choice and which one you go down. Is there enough of the pie for everyone to have a piece? Or are we now getting to the stage where there's too many out there? Well, it's a bit like craft gin. Remember craft gin sort of exploded and then you reach saturation point. We're very fortunate with cold time. We've got brilliant on-pack standout. So on the shelf, it is an impactful looking brand. You wouldn't, your eye wouldn't glance over it. Your eye would almost do a double take. So that's, that's really interesting for us. And that's something we definitely capitalize on. It is a busy market. It's also a very promiscuous market. You know, we're uh, pretty, pretty labels like, like magpies, you know, uh, price, big, big, big factor, deal led. I'm not sure, certainly in the off trade, if there is that brand allegiance as much as there was to say tenants. You know, when before there was craft beer, there was tenants lager in Scotland. And I worked for them for eight years and I'm bloody proud of that. And, you know, that had that, if you cut me, I would all be tenants in my veins. And that has diluted slightly. I think there's also a big rise of low and no. You know, that's, that's you know, the 18-year-olds coming through now don't drink the way students did when I was a student, you know, it's all about looking good for the gram and clean living and stuff. So there's not, you know, it is definitely a shrinking sector. I do not, I cannot see anyone saying that the young people coming through have the same socializing and drinking habits that we did in the mid nineties. And do you, have you dabbled or into the low stroke zero? No, it's really, it's really, really, really expensive. Because you have to de-alcoholize a product. You can't make a beer without alcohol. You have to make a beer and then you have to strip the alcohol from it. It's just chemistry. So it's really, really, really expensive to do it. We're really happy. We, there's a really good little craft brewer called Jump Ship in Edinburgh. Heineken do a brilliant zero. So there's plenty of other people doing it, doing it really, really well. So we'll just support them. Okay. So obviously I massively appreciate your time on the episode this morning's recording. You have in-depth knowledge of the hospitality sector and of obviously getting products to market. So I'm going through a quick question out now, and apologies that's on the fly. If any of the listeners today wanted to start a new drinks brand in 23, going into 2024, what steps would you be taking to get it off the ground within the hospitality, within the current hospitality challenges? Do your research. Spend longer on research than you possibly imagined you ever could. Find your customer, find your price point. But the most important thing is find your point of difference. The main thing when you're speaking to a buyer, 
and you give them your jazz hands, but why they should buy your product. And they sit back and they go, so you haven't hit the mark. If that buyer, if you can present a feature of your brand without a benefit and that buyer can say, so what? You've failed. You have to always be thinking what's in it for the consumer and the customer. Yeah. So we're approaching the end of 23 now. What's around the corner for the businesses? Expansion, please. Expansion. Yeah, we definitely like some new, new projects on the go. And it's, it's got to be a project at the right price. You know, it's, we've got to be able to do the business plan and make sure it's right for us. It's not a new project just for a hobby. You know, we've got to generate revenue. We've got to generate EBITDA for the, for the company. We've got a big, big head office function to, to pay for. We've got some amazing people here, but uh, they don't come cheap. So anywhere that's, that, that's new has got to be a profit driver. Okay. Last couple of questions from me, and we always ask these of every guest. So Louise of today is given Louise fresh out of uni all them years ago. What's that one piece of advice you wish you had known? Talk less, listen more. I, I, I use that quite a bit. Two, two ears, one mouth used in that order. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I actually think it'll probably be on my gravestone. I think I talked before I could walk. So yeah, that would be, that's it. Talk less, listen, listen more. Cool. And last question for today, one of our core values is we love to learn. So we ask every guest, how do you learn? Who do you take advice from? And at this stage, if you've got any recommended reading or channels that you listen to that have helped support you along your journey. I like the TED Talks. I find them pretty inspirational. From a hospitality um, link, it's a guy called Danny Meyer, who's in uh, Manhattan, in New York. What he's done is uh, basically service breakthroughs. And, you know, people like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I look at people like McDonald's, right? Not McDonald's of 2023, but McDonald's of the 90s when they burst, they had four products. They did them brilliantly. Do small, but do it better. So I learn, I learn a lot from that. I go to a lot of events. Obviously, you know, I go across the world and travel and research and speak to people. But that's the main thing is choose who you're going to, who you're going to, going to speak to. Don't just speak to people for, for the sake of it. Understand why you want to talk to them. And it's going to be a two-way street, why they want to talk to you. So, yeah, I'm pretty diverse with who I, who I speak to. And um, I do a lot with the Scottish government. Um, so I'm down at Parliament a fair, um, a fair bit, sort of listening and chatting to people and stuff. So I would say um, the wider you can spread your network, the better. Cool. Just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to have a chat with us today. And it was great to get some insights from your background and obviously seeing it as it is right yeah. now in the hospitality sector. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Accountant. You can find out more and get show notes for this and all our other episodes at theevolvingaccountant.co.uk.